Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In today's duet episode, duet meaning it is just Charlie, myself, and Tim Little, Dr. Dr. Tim Little. Uh, in this episode, we have a couple of housekeeping items, and then we have that thing that we always do, and then we have that other thing that we always do. How's that for ambiguity? It's very imprecise. <laughs> All right. So first piece of housekeeping, Tim, a few weeks ago, you were talking about a Tolkien biography. Yes, I'm still reading it. How's, how have you progressed? Is it getting good, bad? Oh, it's been good. I made it through like three or four more chapters past World War One, and um, it was, uh, you know, World War One. We just kind of think of everybody went and they went over the trenches, and then they got shot and died. But Tolkien was in that world for several months before he got trench fever and well was sent home. And yeah, and his colleague was there for I don't know, like a year or something, or no, even longer before was uh, it he, died. he or Lewis who had the shrapnel. Uh, Lewis got the shrapnel. Lewis mm-hmm. carried the war with him everywhere he went for, for a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the details on that. Anyway, so the reason we're coming back to it is because we kind of went on this little, um, it's not a rabbit trail. We'll call it a wizard trail. <laughs> it was a rabbit trail. A rabbit trail. We're talking about the origin of Gandalf and there's this postcard that, uh, Tolkien writes the origin of Gandalf on it or like something like that. And we started Googling it. And by we, I mean me, and there's this myth lore, like publication that it's, by the way, you can find PDFs of all of these backlogged going all the way back into the eighties of these articles. And there's a guy, Manfred Zimmerman, who wrote an article on this exact topic, the origin of Gandalf and Joseph Madliner, Madliner being the German artist who made this picture that supposedly inspired Tolkien. That's it. And the, uh, so we've talked about it, Tim. I'll just, I'll pose the question that I know what you're going to say. Did Tolkien actually get inspired by the picture? Yes. He did. I think so. But he says he did. Humphrey says that he said he did. Maybe not the way that we expected it. So I think the original presentation is that Tolkien is on tour and he, Gets this postcard and he's like, oh, wow. Well, actually, Manfred Zimmerman, who writes this article, points out that he he actually interviewed the artist, so Joseph Madliner's daughter, who said that dad didn't make that picture until a later year. So Tolkien could not have found it in Germany when he toured there. In 1911, because she was born in 1910 and she remembers him drawing it distinctly. She said it's like the mid-20s. And here, here's from the article. The surprising bit of information was that Tolkien could not have bought a postcard reproduction of Der Burgeist, which is the picture of mm, Gandalf. later Gandalf, during, oh, it's not Germany, during his Switzerland tour of 1911, since that picture was not painted before 1925 or 26. Miss Madliner, born in 1910, maintains that she distinctly remembered her father painting it. 
My first idea on hearing this was that he, at that time, produced a second edition of a work that had already been in existence about 15 years earlier. This turned out to be impossible, too. For prior to World War I, Madliner had been working in a quite different style. Miss Madliner also stated that a postcard version of Der Burgeist was published in the late 20s by uh, Ackermann Verlag München. Whatever. How'd that sound? Just keep going. In a folder with three or four similar pictures with motifs drawn from German mythology, a fairy lady of the woods, a deer carrying a shining cross, etc., etc. And so this idea that Gandalf is inspired by this note card or this postcard, and it's like, well, Tolkien could have never seen that postcard when he was there. And so it's just a fun little article about, well, how did it actually happen then? And if you want to look it up, you can find the origin of Gandalf and Joseph Madliner. There's a PDF you could download. And it goes on to talk about how the original painting was lost and nobody knew where it was, that Joseph Madliner actually just gave it away to someone, not mm -hmm. having any clue that it would inspire one of the most famous fictional characters of our era. And then just so happens that that painting of uh, De Burgeist is found in 2005, which is two years after Return of the King is one of the biggest box office hits of the 2000s era, and then sells for a ridiculous amount of money in 2005 uh, in Britain. So, so somebody can, owns it now. Somebody actually has it. Um, they pay. I'll read the, the last paragraph here. See, yeah. So keep your eyes open. You might recover a lost treasure. In order that you know what to look for, I have provided a rough sketch. Oh, so actually, when he wrote this article... Yeah, it's 1983 or whatever. And he whatever. does have a picture of the sketch, 1983... Mm -hmm. It had not been found. So he's no. like, hey, keep look look for if you find this, it's a really valuable thing. And then about 20 years after he wrote this article, mm -hmm. someone did find it yep. and became very rich. So anyway, housekeeping item number one. The origin of Gandalf, much more than you ever wanted to know about that. During World War One, I uh, Tolkien was in the hospital a lot because he had trench fever. And I learned that that's when he wrote uh some of his first great tales of Middle Earth. Uh the what was the first one? It was uh, uh, The Fall of Gondolin, and then The Children of Huron, and then finally Baron and Luthien, which kind of fits with all that history because there's no Gandalf in any of those. But anyway. There's a, a lot of backstory that... Mm. So I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I struggle because I want to read it all because I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Mm. But I also recognize that... The, it, so I'll ask you... Is that a huge waste of my time to like read through the Silmarillion and read through well, all the, the I, 12 volumes of this random backstory stuff? I'm not into that. I read Baron and Luthien and I got disinterested after half of it. Uh, but it, I did find it fascinating because uh, Tolkien, when his wife passed away, he, she inspired him. Like yes. she was Luthien Tenuviel from the Baron and Luthien uh, tale. Uh, so that was another thing that I read in the more recent section. So, so, I mean, I find that fascinating, uh, this, this character that actually came from real life, but I don't know. I, I mean, it, it wasn't that fascinating well, so for me. Not even, not even on a, it definitely is fascinating to me. And read it. Go for it. Have fun. But is that an immense waste of time? 
Um, I don't know. I read a different book, a fiction book <laughs> with my kids. And so that took a lot of time. So take your pick. It just, we know uh, the imagination is important. All things properly proportioned. Yes. So like a half a page of Tolkien lore a day. Anyway. And I'd still, if you did that, you would never make it through it because there's way too much. Anyway, so that's housekeeping item number one. Housekeeping item number two is an Andy-inspired quote, which we have done every week he's not here. And so I have almost finished Character Matters, Shepherding in the Fruit of the Spirit by Aaron Minikoff, and uh, have a couple of pages here in his chapter on meekness and ministry that uh, I thought were challenging, and they're going to be our Andy quote of the week. So I'm going to read two paragraphs of it. And sort of the tension he has set up in his chapter on meekness is there's this maybe secular, modern idea of leadership as being very strong and bold and brash. He opens the chapter on meekness, looking at like famous characters, which I thought you know, a couple of them are played by Sylvester Stallone. It's like Rambo, you know, like a really like in your face, strong, like, you know, I'll take you out type of a dude. And he's like, pastors maybe feel like they have to be like that, like really tough. And he's like, you do need to be tough. You need to be tough skinned. Like you need to be able to deal with pressure and say what's true. But in the list of qualifications, not quarrelsome, but gentle. Yep. And so there's this really cool, uh, it's not even a dichotomy, but two things existing at the same time that a pastor is supposed to be strong and able to teach, but he's also supposed to be very gentle and meek. Mm -hmm. And so in that idea, these are where these paragraphs lie. So this is under the section heading meekness in ministry on page 146. Leading a church, even with the plurality of elders, little nine Marxism coming out there, isn't easy. A good pastor has to be prepared to face disapproval. It goes with the territory. Moreover, there's often the expectation that pastors must not only know where the church needs to be, but must have the vision, the confidence, the resolve, and tough-mindedness to get it there. And sometimes, because of our sinfully clouded minds, we, we pastors fail to see how fostering the virtue of meekness will further the cause. We know America doesn't need a meek president, the army doesn't need a meek general, and a successful company doesn't need a meek CEO. So perhaps, without admitting it, we resolve that our church doesn't really need a meek pastor. Hmm. But the church isn't a country, an army, or a company. If God wanted it led by politicians, generals, or CEOs, he could have made that happen. Instead, in his wisdom, God entrusted the future of the church to elders whose distinguishing mark is a personal recognition of weakness. And he quotes a passage. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Mm. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. If Jesus saved the world by making himself nothing, then surely it's incumbent upon every elder to take the same posture. Mm. So I thought that was a, Really spicy quote. I really like that. I mean, you just, if you quote Second Corinthians, you're going to get my attention. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's our Andy quote of the week. What did you think of that quote? I, I love it. I, I mean, thought it was good. Yeah. Uh, meekness is a character trait that's lost in our modern culture. So being reminded of that gentleness, but power under control, that's biblical. Yes. So housekeeping done. We have 
some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Tim, let's talk about a book. So I have been listening to The Way of Kings, uh, book one of the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Have you heard of Brandon Sanderson? Okay. So I've heard of him. And then just recently, I feel like I've had multiple conversations about his books. Hmm. And then just today, I was on Instagram, you know, doing what people shouldn't do, which is like mindlessly scrolling. But there is a, I like, there's, there's some good things there. Like there's people that make a lot of good book recommendations and things like that. And there was someone recommending like every Christian should read these fiction books. And the Stormlight series by Sanderson was on that list. Oh, really? It's like, oh, maybe I should give this a try. Cool. Uh, that's really interesting. And they said every Christian should read this. I believe that was the take, yes. Okay. I, it's not a Christian book. He's not a Christian author. He's read written several things. It was actually recommended to me by um, one of my uh, gaming friends, John Vollen. He, um, we were chatting one time and talking about fiction. He had written a fiction book, and my son, Josiah, has uh, aspirations to write some fiction. And he mentioned Brandon Sanderson and The Way of Kings. Or I don't think he mentioned The Way of Kings. He just mentioned Brandon Sanderson. And so I just did a search, and I'm like, oh, let's give something a shot. And the one that I grabbed was The Way of Kings. He has several titles, uh, several different series. I don't know anything about him or any of the other books. All that we have done is we have finally finished The Way of Kings. Uh, It is fantasy literature, and we liked it. It was very good. Um, it encouraged Christian virtues. So that's why when you mentioned that it was a Christian that was recommending it, um, I have very few caveats with, uh, this book. My biggest caveat is I've only listened to the first book and there are four in the series <laughs> and I don't know where he's going to go with the other ones. Uh, one nice thing is that it is fantasy. So, uh, there's no swear words. There's a lot of, uh, storm father, this or storm father, that, which I think would normally be in place of using the Lord's name in vain and storm it, this and storm it, that. So it's a storm light archive. So there's a lot of storm terminology, uh, that's part of the fantasy world that he's created. Um, there's a lot of virtue in the book, uh, sacrificing oneself to save another. Um, when somebody does something evil to you, how do you respond? Do you respond with good? And uh, par- particularly the one character, that, that's that's the way of kings. The way of kings is, because uh, the title is way of kings, the king should lead in a way that uh, he would walk himself. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of rulers who are basically just sending people out to die in battles. Uh, That is one thing about the book is that there is a lot of violence in the book. Um, It's not just people dying, but there's, he can be a little graphic with that description. Oh, don't go away. I accidentally hit my iPad. So this is the only iPad signed into your iCloud account. Is that Andy? So while, while you're figuring that out, uh, I'll pose a question to you. So is it worldview of like, they came from the storm father? Is it like storm father is a God among the gods? So like kind of your typical paganism or down that route, where does it fit in in that realm? Yeah, there's the, the storm. 
the the theology is very undeveloped until like the last chapter where there is a god they talk about the almighty uh, but who exactly he is is never really um discussed or defined until the very end and i don't want to spoil it but that development at the very end of the book uh is well i wrote here i wrote in in my notes that there's some theological cracks at the end of the book and yeah. i wonder how that's going to develop okay y- yes yes so, which you know you would expect of a secular author yeah more mm-hmm. or less Okay, so there's like um, this uh, statement that becomes like the essence of of uh, what's right and good. It's the essence of the way of kings. Uh, these three statements, life before death, strength before weakness, and journey before destination. Uh, so the, the essence of it is that, guess what? Everybody's going to die. So what kind of a life are you going to live? The journey is more important than the destination. So focusing on how you live as opposed to just where you end up at the end of life. And then using your strength to help those who are weak. Hmm. So, I mean, those are basically Christian virtues, and that's kind of the essence of the way of kings. Uh, Life before death, living your life uh, in light of death, maybe. The journey before the destination, you know, how you live is important, and using your strength to help those who are weak. Uh, So that's where I was listening to it, and even the kids are picking up a lot of very Christian themes in in the book. Um, The book was kind of long, Okay, that would be an understatement. It's a thousand and eight pages. It was a forty-five hour audiobook. So we've been working on this for quite a while. So as you mentioned, Tolkien and listening or reading through, I mean this thing's a tome. And there's four of them and they're all this big. The last two are twelve hundred pages. Was it so have you finished you finished the first one? We finished the first one. Was it worth the payoff? Was there something at the yeah, end? There was. That- it had a good payoff. Okay. It did. It was a good story. Yeah. It was a good story and the kids enjoyed it. Well, I shouldn't say the kids enjoyed it. My wife was completely disinterested as were my two <laughs> younger children, the three older ones. And I really enjoyed it. And the others just kind of, a lot of times we're listening while we're in the car. That's when we listen yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. So they're just reading books or ignoring it or whatever. Um, the storyline and how he tells the story is very different. They're completely different plot lines. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen like a book like uh, uh, like this before where it's very disjointed. He starts telling a story of one character, then he just flips and starts telling a character, a story of another character. Then he just flips and starts telling a story of another character. And you're like, what are you doing? And it take, took several hours into the book before I realized he's developing like these four main characters and i told the kids pay attention to these different characters because he's going to weave them together at some point he's got to he's got to bring them together well this was kind of i don't know like it was it's a big world that he's creating Mm. they've compared him to tolkien and the lord of the rings because he only brings two of the characters together at the very end of the first book which is a thousand pages so i don't even know what he's going to do or how he's going to weave these other characters into the story interesting but it's massive character development in in this world and that's that's somewhat similar to lord of the rings in the sense that Mm-hmm. You know, once the fellowship breaks, you're kind of focusing on different mm-hmm. storylines throughout the rest of it. Yeah. But 
you're saying like these characters are completely disjointed yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. There's like no connection between them. And at the beginning of all of the chat, many of the chapters, he'll have this little statement like 43 seconds pre-death or whatever. And it's like, what is he doing with this? And you don't even find out until like the end. The very, very end. <laughs> like the very end. Like, I mean, maybe the fourth to the last chapter or well, something archive, like that you know so yeah. someone's telling a history right that's it and so this whole thing is taking place at the beginning of each chapter and the whole time the kids and i are just like this is stupid can you just skip this part and then he ties it back in at the very end anyway so that just kind of gives you an idea of is it the okay depth. let me ask this question is it actually clever or is it like he's trying to be more cute Trying to be too clever. I thought it was clever. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. I still didn't like what he did sure. with the little snippets at the beginning of the chapters, but there was a point to it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's no consequential romances in the book, which I appreciated. However, one does develop at the end, so I don't know where that's going to go. And I would contend it's probably not going on a good trajectory. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of virtue and even with romances, there was a lot of virtue, uh, choosing what's right and true as opposed to what one desires. Uh, but at the end of the book, one of the main characters uh, breaks that mold when it comes to a romance. So we'll see how that develops. There's some situational ethics issues as well. That's one of the things about Tolkien and what we saw in The Lord of the Rings. You have actually a developed theological ethical system that's very much based upon the Bible. Um, you don't get that here. It's really more of a situational ethics kind of a um, perspective. So, well, and that's, what you would expect too of a more modern, yep. uh, we'll call it quote unquote religious approach uh -huh. to mythology or uh, the fabric of the universe that's being created. Uh, it's if you don't have the rooting. So I'm I've actually just started reading a book, uh, which will you know maybe way down the road we might even have uh, some a guest to come and talk to us about it. But um, after Virtue by Alistair McIntyre, which is kind of a famous virtue ethics text, and he talks about this idea that we're so far removed from the actual moral fabric of where we got our morality from in Western culture. We're so far removed that we don't even see the catastrophe that removed it. Like we're, we're so beyond, and hence the title, after virtue. Like we have mm -hmm. semblances of it, but nobody knows what these things actually mean. You know, and, and the catastrophe that removed the actual moral fabric, nobody even knows what the catastrophe is. Yeah. And, and so, here you have a writer who, without the genuine moral fabric to underpin what he's trying to establish, it has to be some level of humanism. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it, I w wouldn't be surprised if you have the, you know, you have had this kind of moral code of these three, you know, statements like use your strength to help the weak and the journey is more important than destination. And it's maybe could be putting focus very heavily on a protagonist to be the solution. But anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's good. I I have never really had the the force, the push to read Sanderson. So I will live vicariously through you. 
Sounds good. I'm not sure how far we're going to go in it. Like I said, it's 45 hours for one book. So with three more to go. You could you could listen through the Ransom trilogy like 10 times by the time yeah. you did that. Let me illustrate one other thing. Um, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about um, Wing Feather on the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness uh, by Andrew Peterson. Uh, just to give you a bit of, this was one of the reasons why I jumped into this book, by the way, by Sanderson. On uh, on Amazon, there's 5,700 ratings for On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. And there's twenty, almost 21,000 ratings on Goodreads. Well, Sanderson's The Way of Kings has 65,000 yeah. reviews on Amazon. Okay. okay Highly acclaimed. 444,000 on Goodreads. So, I mean, Wingfeather by uh, Peterson, it's like nothing compared to this sucker. As, as a comparison, yeah. can you look up Harry Potter on Goodreads? So we, we have about maybe a, well, let's round up. We'll call it a half million reviews on Goodreads for Sanderson's Wave Kings. What is J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter uh, or one of the books? I'm sure, like Sorcerer's Stone or Goblet of Fire. Wow, Sorcerer's Stone would be the number one book, which I'm assuming would have the most play because it's the first of the series. But yeah. Well, I mean, I might get there eventually, but I'm not as quick and good at this as you are showing 500 different things for uh, the Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone. Looks like I've got the illustrated edition here, so. Interesting. Okay, oh, 87,000. Well, 87,000. On Amazon? No, that's the video. See, I don't know what I'm doing here. Oh, don't worry about it. As a, as a, you know, as if the number of Goodreads reviews a book has is the barometer by which to gauge its efficacy anyway so we'll uh we'll we'll keep track of the uh is it the Stormlight series is that what it's called yeah i'm not sure if we're going to be talking about it on this podcast i mean it's going to be Does, uh um indy wilson on stories or soul food i'm sure they have to talk about sanderson at some point i have no idea i never heard of him until uh this uh gaming friend had told me about him really mm-hmm I mean, I, I've, yeah, loosely heard of him. I mean, I knew he was a famous fiction fantasy author, but mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. Well, Tim, why don't you segue us to what's next in the podcast? Why don't, um, is there a final thought from God's word we could have here, Carter? Oh, there absolutely is. And so this is just the text that uh, my pastor has been preaching through, uh, not the text, but in the summers, the last couple of years, we do, we go through the Psalms in the summer and then we kind of switch to a more, uh, either a New Testament or Old Testament book in the fall and spring. And so we've been going through the Psalms for, I think, at least two summers now. And we were in Psalm 77 recently, and it's a Psalm of Asaph, and you get the sense that there's some very distinct trial or trials that he's going through. You can hear that in the opening verses here. And it breaks down into four really nice sections, and there's say laws that break them apart. And so you can really kind of see the flow. So verse one, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me in the day of my trouble. So, okay, something's not going right. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying, 
my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. And so it's interesting that he seeks the Lord. He remembers the Lord in verse 3. It's not necessarily a positive response. Like, I I remember the Lord and I moaned. (laughs) Like, it doesn't seem to help. And uh, so let's keep going. What's going on here? You hold my eyelids open. So uh, presumably speaking to the Lord, he's not able to sleep. And the Lord is the one who's sovereign over that. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let Let me meditate in my heart. And my spirit made a diligent search. And so he... There's trouble, he's seeking the Lord, it doesn't initially help. And then he turns and he's, let me meditate on some things. And he starts asking some questions here in these verses. And they're rhetorical questions that I think at the end of verse 9, we're supposed to pause and consider. So what are these questions? And this, I think this was probably the part of the psalm that really impacted me. I've been meditating on these in the mornings throughout the week here. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? So, will he turn his favor from Israel forever? Has, this is verse 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased? And that word for love there is the famous term in the Old Testament for his covenant faithfulness, his chesed. Is his Covenant faithfulness forever gone? Are his promises at an end for all time? I'm reading from ESV, so if you have a different translation, it's going to look different. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Verse 9. And the last one, has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. And some of those questions... Uh, I, I guess I can understand. I, I think as you follow through maybe the flow of what the Psalms have been presenting, Psalms are a post-exilic compilation of songs for the people of Israel as they return to the promised land after they were in exile. And as you kind of track through the, the first couple books of Psalms, so between 50 and I can't remember where the actual break is, like 71 or 72, a lot of David. and the kingdom, a kingdom stuff happening. And as you transition into uh, the middle part of the Psalms here, there's a Psalm that's by Solomon and he actually mentions David dying. And as you think, track through the history of Israel, you know, David kingdom goes to Solomon after Solomon kingdom splits. And that's where the mess gets really, really messy. And so you, I think you can, in the picture of what's happening here is this is maybe an Israel that's not at the height of the kingdom. This is maybe a Psalm that is depicting or at least imaginatively remembering being in exile and wondering, has God kicked us out forever? And I think that there's a genuine, like I get the question, like we really screwed this up, but it's, the focus here is more about the character of God than it is the failure of the human. So as you look at those questions, can God just like flip a switch and he's no longer merciful? 
Like, can he forget that he's gracious? Can God actually not keep his promise? And we know the answers to those questions. No. Like, what is true is that God is unchanging and he's always faithful and he's always good. And that includes when he allows, whether for in this, maybe in this particular instance, punishment, or for sanctification, when he allows difficulty, he is still gracious and compassionate and forever steadfast, faithfully loving us. And uh, I really appreciated my pastor presenting that kind of dichotomy that is a real struggle for us when we go through trial, that we do very naturally doubt that God really is that good. Hmm. And we very easily forget that he is true and he is faithful. And uh, I was really blessed by that. And think, just thinking and meditating on the character of God. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is you keep going through the psalm. Uh, so verse 10, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I think it's that verse. There's some really interesting Hebrew there. So Tim, maybe another time we'll dive into that. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Verse 11, yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You can, you can hear the tone change mm-hmm. as he meditated and questioned and remembered the character of God. And now he's like, who's holy like him? No one. Verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Then the last section is going to focus on the Red Sea, the people coming out of Egypt. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. We were talking about imagination earlier. Imagine that. That here's the Red Sea, and the sea is listening to the words of God, afraid. Oh no, we better listen to this guy. Uh, The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen, you led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so, just a great remembrance of the character and then the power of God. And uh, our pastor gave a really nice, uh, we, we, could, we could break it down hermeneutically, I think, but a very nice illustration of here's a moment in Israel's history where they're hopeless. Hmm. But they're not, because here God comes and completely removes them from the situation by his power in his hand. He splits the sea, they walk through on dry ground, and crushes the armies of Pharaoh. And we look at that, we almost can't even imagine or believe that that happened. But then the illustration that our pastor's like, you think that's amazing? You were dead in sin. Hmm. And, ah, man, I was, I was hit, because you're remembering... 
you know, the power of God is amazing. He splits the sea, he delivers the people. But then you see the power of God in the incarnation of Christ to come and live a holy life, to die on the cross, to pay for our sin. And you want to talk about a deliverance. We were dead in sin. And God and his power and his might and his perfect faithful plan saved us. And uh, yeah, just I was really blessed by that psalm. And uh, first, just remembering with those questions in that second kind of uh, strophe of the psalm, just thinking through those rhetorical questions and remembering the character of God, but then seeing that character in action both as Asaph remembers it, but then as a Christian hindsight of the cross, seeing that same faithfulness, that same mercy, that same power displayed in the cross where he he died for our sins. And so uh, I hope that encourages you listeners. Uh, it really encouraged me. And uh, I think what's even really fun about that is seeing how God timed that in the life of our church uh, where we started in the Psalms, you know, two years ago, and then uh, he, none of us knowing, but he perfectly knowing what we'd be going through now as a church, as individuals, where that Psalm would come in and minister to us and help us remember his faithfulness and to trust him, you know, and so just really uh, neat to see God's plan and even uh, that coming through the life of our church when it did. And so, yeah, hope that encourages you as you go through difficulty. Remember that God's character is unfailing. He is always faithful and good and merciful and gracious to us, especially through Christ our Savior. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Thinklings Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings podcast.